On today's show, our guest is Joel Hanna. One way to describe the goal in philosophy is to say that you're going to do something about it. You might be sick of the way that your life is going, your finances, your relationships, or you might even have had enough of what you're seeing in society. But how many of us really do something about it? We have all sorts of media coming at us every day, both good and bad. And when you see a story or read an article that strikes at the core of your beliefs, how often does that actually move you to act? Sure, you might get upset for a while, but are you going to do something about it? Our guest today has done something about what he believes is important. And when I tell you what it is, it will really make you think about our responsibility to future generations. Joel is the co-founder of Big Little Brush. His business sits right at the intersection of social and environmental issues today. He asks the question, what can we as consumers do today to make a difference? And it's a great question. Joel's company manufactures and distributes a toothbrush that is made from bamboo and nylon, which is completely biodegradable. Just imagine every toothbrush that has ever been made is still around today in landfill somewhere, and it will take more than 600 years to degrade. Now, if I'm completely honest, I never gave a moment's thought to my toothbrush, but when Joel put it into context for me and showed me with his business that he is doing something about it, I knew that he had an amazing go-all-in story. Things don't need to stay the same, and we can do something about it, especially the environment. As custodians of this land, we are responsible for handing it off in a better state than we found it to the next generation. However, we just don't seem to be doing that. Joel is a guy that's going all in and making a decisive change for the better. I'm excited he's here, so please help me in welcoming Joel Hanna. Hey, are you totally committed? Are you playing full out? Are you all in? Hi, my name is Robert Brass, and this is the Go All In Podcast. Join me as we explore amazing stories of success, heartache, and absolute triumph by those who have gone all in. I'm glad you're here, so let's get to it and do whatever it takes to go all in and create the life of your dreams. Well, good day, Joe. Welcome to the show, mate. It's great to have you here. Thanks for having me. I always love having a chat about interesting, fun things and interesting, fun people, so happy to be here. Okay, fantastic. I like to start off all my shows with a quick get-to-know-you quiz. It helps us calm the nerves a little bit. It warms us up a little bit in a rapid-fire way, and maybe we'll learn something about you that the mm-hmm. listeners don't already know and your friends and family that are listening. <laughs> uh, ready? I'm trying not to tell too many secrets. Let's go. All right, man. Just tell me the first thing that comes to mind, okay? All right. Okay. Perfection or execution? I think execution, it's better to do something and there's no such thing as perfect. So yeah, execution all the way. Okay. These in in no particular order, by the way, and they're random. (laughs) So do you prefer writing content or speaking engagements? I love speaking engagements. I love being the center of attention, which is uh, both a blessing and a curse. But yeah, I think uh, content is great and I I enjoy being involved in it. But yeah, anytime I can um, have a conversation or be in front of an audience, I, I love that kind of stuff. Can you sing? Uh, well, depends who you ask, really. It's a matter of opinion. I've been a musician my whole life. And, oh, really? What do you yeah, play? I'm um, a guitar player and a singer oh, nice. and a songwriter. And um, like every try-hard musician, weekend warrior, we do a bit of everything. So um, I've done a bit of production in my time and I grew up playing drums and bagpipes at one point. Any particular genre of music you like? Can't put me in a box, Robert. I'm, uh, I'm hard <laughs> to pin down. No, I'm joking. <laughs> um, no, it's just it's nothing too clever. Uh, indie rock is kind of my vibe. 
Nice one. Nice one. Would you prefer to be in the office working away or out networking with other people? Ooh, I had this realization a couple of days ago that I sit at my desk as little as possible. And if I'm in the office, so to speak, I'm probably sitting on a couch or on a beanbag or in my day job, we have this really great outdoor area where I like to park myself and get some sunshine. So I think like I like a bit of a balance of working with people and working you know, particularly in teams, but a lot of my work I need to do on my own. So you really catch me at my desk, but it will be a bit of a mixture of you know, being out and about and in the office as well. Sounds like a nice hybrid. Sometimes people are just like flat out, no, I don't want to be in the office. I want to be out with people. Yeah. Yep. Like that. Yep. So it sounds yep. like you've got a good balance. Good working environment helps that as well, right? Agree. Yeah, totally. All right. Last one. It's a serious one, man. Is it meditation or contemplation? I wouldn't choose between either. Oh. Um, I definitely need a bit of both. And I think, you know, you kind of become what you put into your mind and what you put into your, your universe and what you dwell on. So I think if you want good positive things, then put them into your world and, and really spend time like pressing into them, I guess, which requires a bit of both. You need to have the discipline of meditation, but also like, I guess the maturity of contemplation to actually think through stuff. So yeah, I think a, a good healthy dose of both is good. Fantastic. Nice one, mate. Well, thank you for sharing all of that with us. Will people come on over to this podcast to learn more about others that have gone all in? So if you could, mate, could you please share with us your biggest all in story or stories and the lessons that you've learned from your commitment to success? Mm. Yeah, sure. So I think probably the, the project at hand, the thing that I'm most involved in at the moment, well, I kind of have two main things, right? Apart from being a, a dad and a a mace and a son and all those good things that everyone kind of is if we're lucky. But I also have a day job. I work for a software company called Zero, and I also founded a social enterprise about 18 months ago now. We launched to market maybe nine months ago. Our social enterprise is called Big Little Brush, and we sell beautiful biodegradable bamboo toothbrushes and use our profits to help fund health and hygiene programs in remote Indigenous communities in Australia. And I think between those two kind of main things, these are the things that I've been the most committed to and most invested in, in terms of you know, emotional investment to a certain point, financial investment, and just kind of the thing that I'm, we joke about this thing in, in the Big Little Brush team, talk about our opus, like this is the thing that, this is your life's work, you know, and I think for me, Big Little Brush is definitely like a really big part of that. So yeah, it's been a really, a really fun experience. I've learned a whole lot and definitely uh, have found myself having to make Pretty important decisions, I think, about stuff I don't get involved in. You know, I'm pretty, I guess, typical hyperactive entrepreneur in that I have 100, 100 ideas a day and maybe one good idea every six months. But <laughs> my challenge is knowing what to really dig into, what to say yes to essentially, and the things that I need to say no to. So I think that to me is a really good test case or a good litmus test that I am really invested in Big Little Brush and is something that does take up a lot of my attention and my time outside of work and I find myself saying no to things and not getting involved in things because I want to spend more time and be more committed to those things so yeah fantastic well tell me about your thinking and your mindset when you decided to do something about the environment it's kind of like your your big little brush the it's at the intersection between social and environmental issues and obviously you'd given that quite a bit of thought tell me a little bit about your thinking when you decided to create that business and Go all in on it, really. Yeah, really, really good question, actually. And I know for me that my thinking has definitely shifted over the, the course of being involved in Big Little Brush. 
I had this personal experience. I had a wisdom tooth that got broken and got infected and I didn't get it treated. So I ended up getting quite crook and there's probably a two or three week period where I was in a whole lot of pain, taking a whole bunch of painkillers and like avoiding social stuff and family stuff because I was just, I was in a real state. Typical right? bloke, right? Not yeah, dealing well, with the health issue at hand. Pretty much. And you know, there was a couple of reasons I was really broke at the time. So cost was one thing, but also like this kind of Western, I call it Western complacency for want of a better term, but I kind of knew in the back of my mind that when it got really bad, I'd be able to get it treated and get healthy again, which is exactly what happened. I was, <laughs> I was quite sick one day and I just found myself being very strongly encouraged to go to the dentist and get my, excuse my language, but get my shit together essentially. And so I went to the dentist, had the tooth pulled out and I took some antibiotics and I was well again in a couple of days. So going through that process made me realize that I'm incredibly, incredibly fortunate. I can afford to be complacent and I can afford to let my health essentially become such a low priority because I knew I had a safety net. And I was just really challenged at that point. If you're so fortunate, what's it like for the rest of the world? And I kind of started doing some research and realized that those primary basic health needs that we really take for granted as Australians, particularly when we live in the CBD or in you know, suburban Australia, that we, we assume that they're fundamental human rights and that you know, we are entitled to have access to them. But unfortunately, it's not the case for the whole world. And even in parts of Australia, getting access to things like dental care and a GP, for example, it's quite challenging. You know, if you live in a remote community, your nearest dentist is hundreds of kilometers away and you don't have the financial means or the transport to get there. And then also this kind of cultural understanding of whether or not you should go and get stuff like you know, dental pain or, or dental issues treated. Um, when they're not culturally normal, you, you don't kind of go to them as your first thing to go and solve those problems. You know, in Aboriginal communities, it's quite normal for you to lose teeth as you age. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but the process of losing teeth means that you get prohibited from you know, attending school and, you know, maybe engaging in the workplace and stuff like that. So this was kind of the, the psychographic environment that I found myself in, if you like, when I was going through this experience and just really struck by how fortunate I was. And it's kind of one of those things, like when you know those facts, like I couldn't just walk away from learning that information and do nothing. You know, I'm really lucky in that, you know, my mom, my mom taught me to be, I guess, outward looking. She's very much a selfless woman. And when we were growing up, she was very on purpose about, and she had a chance to think about other people before ourselves. And you know, I kind of grew up in an environment where that was really normal. So I feel very fortunate because of that. And I think have taken that into my grown up life. And yeah, so I guess the, the environment that I found myself in was you're really lucky, not everybody is, and you have some skills and some means to do something about that. So like as if I wasn't going to, you know. And so, yeah, I guess it was took a little while to get the idea right, like kind of talked about a few different things. When I say we, I mean myself and my co-founder, Andrew. Um, we've started Big Little Brush together and pretty quickly added a pretty great team around us. And as we were kind of talking about what it is that we would do out of this experience, we had a bunch of ideas, but once we landed on, you know, building an online retailer that sells a product and uses the profits to do a thing, um, that kind of started to kind of gel and people kind of got it and we kind of got it. So, yeah, I guess it was at that point where we sort of said, well, if we're going to do this, we should really give it a pretty good nudge. And yeah, it's kind of where we found ourselves now. When you came up with the idea, did you have to explain that idea to your mate there, to Andrew, or was it, did you have to convince him or he was just straight on board straight away with you? 
Well, if I'm being really honest, it was quite a few long conversations, one in particular over maybe one or two many whiskeys of a, of a late evening. <laughs> and we kind of got ourselves on a bit of a roll. And I've known Andrew for it's probably nearly 20 years now, actually. And he is just, he's a legend. He's one of my favorite people in the world. And he continues to challenge me and encourage me to kind of be the best version of Joel that I can be. And I guess the, I hope that the, the opposite is true as well. And so we kind of were encouraging each other, I think, and like egging each other on. So we kind of got to this point where, you know, one of the first ideas that we had was, well, what if we could like raise money through some sort of magic, who knows, and use the funds to educate or employ dental educators to go into these communities and, and do that work. And like, we were getting really excited about this idea. We're like, yeah, I reckon we can do this. And we're both quite commercially oriented. Andrew's an accountant by trade. And we've both got a lot of experience working in commercial businesses. And there was just this thing of like, why would you start a charity? Like we kind of went through the bad version of the idea, talked ourselves out of it to realize that that wasn't the right thing. And then into, well, what are we good at? What do we have? And one of the things that I've always kind of said is just, if you want to do a thing, start where you are, use what you have and just do what you can. And you can add on to those things as you go. And we kind of asked ourselves those questions. So what do we know? We know commercial businesses. Where are we at? We don't have a lot of finance to get this thing going. We don't have a lot of experience running charities or anything like that. So let's just focus on the things we can do that we do know that we are good at with the resources that we have right now. Yeah. So I guess we kind of egged each other on into this idea and out came Big Little Brush. Yeah. Did you have the idea right at the start to support Indigenous communities throughout Australia? Or was that something that was developed along the way? It was really developed along the way. It was interesting. We did have this bit of tension, I guess, amongst ourselves, amongst the team of what do we support? Because there's so much need everywhere. You can, you know, you can look in any population and find a need of some kind that you could help to service. And the first kind of question for us was, well, is it, uh, do we do something internationally? Because there's you know, an abundance of need internationally. Do we do something locally? And as I was doing this research, I just kind of had this precondition, this pre-assumed idea that, well, we live in Australia. There's probably no problem with oral care here. Like it's probably not a, of course mm. it's not. <laughs> it's Australia. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I guess as I was doing the research, I sort of discovered well, that it wasn't. And we actually found a couple of local organizations that were already doing work in the space that we could just partner with straight away. So it's kind of like we'd made the decision without realizing we supported, we support, we continue to support a couple of organizations that do work in uh, remote Aboriginal communities, uh, both in the Northern Territory and in Victoria. And we just sort of said, well, we'll partner with these guys. And if I'm really, really honest, part of it was a really selfish reason of we, we want to put our money where our mouth is and we need to be doing the, the things that we say we want to do. So let's partner with these organizations, contribute some funds to them, and, and we'll have a great story to tell then which is not necessarily the right motive, but it was, you know, amongst many other ideas of we wanted to do the most good that we Well, could the do. outcome is not negative, is it? I mean, the, the motivation might not be right, but the outcome of donating to Indigenous communities, I mean, yeah. gosh, you, you can't say anything bad about but, that. And that's kind of true, right? So, and that's part of the story we told ourselves. Yeah. Time, but, <laughs> but yeah, we kind of done that and we still had this question of, well, do we eventually want to support something internationally as well? And just the more that we worked with these partner organisations, there's two of them. One's called Indigigrins based in Victoria. The other one's called Red Dust based in Victoria, but services the Northern Territory. And they run like, they both run primary health programs each with a particular focus on oral care in parts of their program. So, so it's uh, directly related to your products. Do you supply yeah. the product as well or is it just cash to the businesses? 
that you spend? Uh, yeah, well, we provide product and dollars, yeah. And we kind of want to move towards a blended model of, yeah. It's interesting. So I guess part of working closely with those organizations is just seeing that the need is huge, but also that the need is diverse. So sometimes the best thing we can do to help is to provide big brushes. Other times the best thing we can do to help is going to be to provide cash as well. Tell me about that need and the scale of that problem, because I don't think people really understand the scale of that social yeah. issue and, and how big that is. Yeah. It's, I know you're going to surprise me and alarm me. Here. <laughs> it's huge. So there's kind of two factors for me. The first thing is we don't know how big the problem is, like explicitly, statistically. You know, we have stats and there's research to show that it's a massive burden. It's the second most expensive thing to treat. Sorry, oral care is the second biggest expense in the public health system, which I find just immensely baffling, particularly in a Western country. And side note, one of the dumbest things about dental problems is that they're 100% preventable. Well, to a certain extent, right? So if you brush your teeth, you floss, you use mouthwash, you, you reduce the likelihood that you're going to experience you know, dental problems significantly. And the other interesting thing for me, and it sounds really obvious when you say it out loud, but just giving someone a toothbrush and saying brush your teeth isn't enough. You need to teach them the value of that activity as well. And there's some great research that shows like education paired with access to equipment will reduce the likelihood and incidence of dental carry far and beyond just providing toothbrushes and toothpaste. So I find that kind of interesting too. The interesting thing about your dental care, it is preventable, but you know, you leave a tooth or a hole in your tooth untreated like I did. You know, I had a pretty awful experience. I was quite sick for a number of weeks, but that's very mild compared to what could happen. And I won't kind of go into too much gory detail, but there's a number of like secondary and tertiary complications that you can and probably will experience if you leave stuff untreated for a long period of time. And those things are prevalent in Indigenous communities, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, so it's kind of one of the leading causes of like non-participation in schooling in particular. And so there's all these kind of basic primary health things. So like access to clean water, access to nutrients, so access to food, access to sanitary products like tampons and pads, access to toothbrushes and, and like good primary health, or sorry, rather good oral care outcomes are all kind of, they sound really simple and kind of fundamental things, but they're all really key things that will stop someone from going to school. And the really important thing about attending school is it increases your likelihood to get employment and then stay in employment, but also to do things like learning how to work in a team or working with people, managing money, getting yourself to a place on time, like all these really basic skills that you kind of get from being in school. So yeah, Again, this research that says if you can solve this oral care problem along with those other things, so like, yeah, you need clean water and you need food and all that stuff. But if you do that, you don't just increase the likelihood of individuals to have like personal success. You actually increase the overall financial potential of a community, which is really interesting. So it's like these basic fundamental things, you get them right and you can actually start to change the whole economy of our country. And yeah, this is part of what we learned as we started to do this research. And we're like, man, this is an opportunity even just in our own backyard. You know, in the suburbs that we grew up in, there are populations going without these fundamental things. And that's, yeah, that's not okay. It's a big thing, man. You didn't start small. You started on something <laughs> like really big. Yep. When you mentioned there that it was kind of about 18 months old, you had your first product about nine months in, you're further down the track now, you're another nine months on. When did you realize along that timeline that it was starting to pay dividends for you. It was actually doing what you guys anticipated it would do and you're getting Ooh, along. Yeah. Were you a long way in? You know, sometimes business startups, they yeah. work for two years and people just persevere before they kind of let it go through to the keeper. And sometimes yeah. it works straight away. How did that go for you? 
Yeah, I guess we didn't really have, it's pretty embarrassing to say, actually, we didn't really have a good idea of what like success would look like. We didn't have a particular metric or KPI that, you know, once we've moved over that hump, then we know that we're onto a good thing. We kind of had little milestones and little wins that we wanted to get to along the way. And I can't remember who it was, but gave us this great advice of like, don't wait till you've got a product before you start building equity in your brand. And I think that was a really important learning for us. So we got to have this feeling of engagement and support from what would eventually become our group of first customers well and truly before we'd even, you know, even spent money on a product or had a product in our hand, which was kind of cool. And that was really useful because what that did is gave us a really good cohort of people that we could start to do like user testing with our products and with our messaging and all that kind of good stuff as well. So again, another little side note for you know, any entrepreneur, go out there, give it a crack and like ask the people that love you the most and they'll be the most honest with you yeah. <laughs> about the quality of your idea and of your products. But there were a couple of really key milestones. The first time we had a product in our hands when we, we'd kind of been backwards and forwards with our suppliers. So our brushes are manufactured in China and we went and spent some time with our manufacturing partners in their factory, kind of seeing their process and getting a real sense of who they were and getting a better insight into how they treated and paid their workers and whether the environments were safe and all that stuff. Um, kind of due diligence we felt like we needed to do. And it was? It was fine? Or were you surprised it was all good? Yeah, look, it's not the same as walking into a, like a WorkSafe certified factory in Port Melbourne. And also, like, I found the wages idea really interesting. So cost of living in, in the part of China where our products manufactured is quite low so do the workers get paid the same as you and i no they don't but also cost of living is a whole lot lower so they actually get paid a really good wage but we had a local guide who helped us to kind of navigate that conversation and that was really interesting classic story though no one can buy a house in Ningbo, which is where our products are manufactured same way you can't buy a house in melbourne or sydney <laughs> um, also it's a city with a population of seven and a half million people you know what's interesting is like that's we're cool. like whoa that's massive but yeah, yeah. Our local guy, Jackie, was like, big, tiny. It's a tiny little town. You should go to Shanghai, which we're going to. So, yeah, that was a really interesting experience. But we kind of did that work. We spent some time there, left them with a whole bunch of specs. And about three weeks later, I think it was, part of me might have been a little bit longer. We got a couple of big cartons in the mail and they were our first brushes. In fact, it was about six weeks, I think. So actually having the, in inverted commas, finished first product, ready to literally sell the customers was that was a pretty trippy wild experience because it had our branding on it and it was like the design work that we'd done and the, all that thinking and all that user testing and all that kind of input really summed up in a physical tangible holdable thing that was a pretty cool experience so that was kind of the first big milestone the second one was definitely the first time we were able to contribute some toothbrushes and some funding to one of our program partners that was really kind of a real privilege and we like I still talk about it often what a privilege that an organization that does such meaningful and important work and the interesting thing about not-for-profits and about particularly about little ones is that like no one's in it for the money nor the glory they're in it because they truly truly believe they work the work that they're doing is changing the world and making people's lives better and that to me is a huge privilege to be a part of so we you know we don't ever intend to run our own programs or on our own interventions like on the ground doing work and so we kind of rely I suppose in a way on our partner organizations continuing to invite us on that journey with them and into that work and that's just a real yeah it's I get a bit overwhelmed talking about it because it's a real privilege you know like I otherwise wouldn't be able to get all these really selfish nice feelings that I get from it 
Well, you're affecting people directly. And when you're affecting one person at a time like that, it's an extremely important thing. And yeah. the feeling that you get from that, you know, I, I think that in some ways having a podcast like this for me is I feel like I serve others. And yes. you, can serve, yeah. you can serve in many different ways. Like I get to tell your story and your story is so important from a social perspective. I get to shine a spotlight on indigenous health, which is really, really important. And I get mm. you to help you amplify your message. And I feel like I get to serve you a little bit by helping you like that or help your cause, which is really cool. But you know oh. what? It's the most selfish thing in the world. <laughs> feels so damn good. Yeah. I don't do it for the glory. I don't do it for any other reason other than to say, hey, man, that's a really important issue that you've got going on there. Let me amplify that message for you and I can help you do that. So I resonate completely with what yeah. you're saying. There. And we, look, we so appreciate being invited to talk about stuff like, you know, that's really close to our hearts in an environment like this. I think you're doing amazing work. I certainly found that I started to think about this kind of stuff quite differently when I had children. And I kind of realized that like everything is selfish. So like anything you do that is because you, because it makes you feel good, like that's selfish, but there's a level of like, I can be selfish and I can take the good feelings or I can like steal money from people. That's also very selfish. So there's like a level of it, right? But yeah, it's interesting. There is. Tell me about the you got some incredible social responsibilities there that you're talking about and some amazing motivation and things that keep your momentum going and being all in on it from a social perspective is great. But the environmental perspective is oh. something that really stuck out to me as well. I never thought for a moment until I saw your business and your name and I, I found mm. out about you guys, I never thought for a moment about that toothbrush that I put in my mouth every day and I just mm. hung it every month or two that yeah. it lives for 600 years. But, you know, for me personally, as a regular, normal, blokey, blokey, Aussie, Australian male, environmental issues seem like such a big thing, Yeah, like such a, a giant thing. And you guys seem to have looked at that and gone, well, we can do something about that. The status quo doesn't need to remain the same. Tell yeah. me a little bit about your thinking about that. Yeah, I totally agree. Those big, like wicked environmental problems can just seem like they're too far gone, right? The planet's mm. in too much of a bad state and there's so much good quality research out there that demonstrates that to essentially be the truth. Um, but truth's a little bit relative. So if we continue to treat the planet the way we're treating it, we're in grave, grave trouble. And I think that's a broadly accepted fact. There's a really great book by a guy called Paul Hawken and a great program at work called Drawdown. So Paul has made his whole career about at solving essentially this problem of, of climate change and of global warming. And he's done a really good job of two things. I think right-sizing the problem. So yes, it is a, it's an enormous problem, but then also doing research into like what are the possible interventions and behavioral changes that could actually reverse climate change. And they're big, they're big objectives, but looking at his work was one of the first times I'd ever seen an achievable positive message around like around the issue. And I think for us personally, Big Little Brush, when we started talking about this idea, hey, we'll sell toothbrushes and you know, we'll sell them online and we'll use the proceeds to do something, really simple idea. The cheapest possible way to do that is to produce plastic toothbrushes. And that would have been great for us because we would have had really good margins and you know, really cheap to transport, hundreds and hundreds of manufacturers, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a whole bunch of reasons why that does make a lot of sense. However, one of the things that I've really come to learn, you touched on it when we first started talking, was about that intersection between social issues and environmental issues and how they really are kind of the same thing. And if you make bad environmental decisions, then they, they will invariably become 
really poor social outcomes. And the opposite is true as well. When you try growing food in a way that's as cheap as possible so people can eat, you end up messing up the environment, right? Or mm-hmm. you pollute the environment, how do you grow food? You know? So like it's, they're so closely linked. And so I kind of had this understanding or was gaining this understanding, I suppose, in the early days of the little brush and then plastic toothbrushes, that sounds great. However, we're just trading what is a small impact on a potentially a very large social problem by creating another environmental problem of plastic waste and plastic toothbrushes. So, yeah, we've kind of held that thinking really at the very forefront of what we do as an organisation. So we care about really four things when we're making decisions at Big Little Brush. It's people, planet, the purpose of our business, which is kind of the social stuff, and profit. So we need to build a really sustainable business as well. And if any of our things that we're working on, new products or programs or activities, don't kind of tick all four of those boxes, then we can't say yes to them. And so the plastic toothbrush thing was, well, it's, it's quite damaging to the environment. So we, we can't say yes to that. So, yeah, I think, again, taking on that thinking, looking at the environmental problems that we have you know, globally right now, it's very rare that you see them being right-sized. They're always, well, not always, that's unfair, often communicated in a very emotional way, which I think is really helpful in, in some ways, but also confound and confuse the entire issue. And particularly as an individual, what emotions don't do is tell you anything about what you can do to help. So we try to take kind of a nice balance between, um, yes, the problem is big, but your small decisions that you make every day or every month when you're throwing out your toothbrush or whatever it might be, they will actually have a material impact if you maintain that behavior across your lifetime. I think that's the key right there, isn't it? You don't try and tackle the big giant climate change issues, just tackle the things that are within the perspective and the scope of what you can do. I know um, I live right on a beach at Cronulla. Oh, um, beautiful. Sydney, and often I'll either walk or jog on the beach not as much as I used to, to be hard with a bit of a dodgy knee. But if uh, I'm yep. walking on the beach, you know, they say go away and, you know, pick up two pieces of plastic. I could literally walk for 10 kilometers along the beach and have two garbage trucks full of yeah. plastic yep. on there. And there is just so much pollution there. But mm-hmm. you look at where we live and it looks like an unspoiled environment, but that stuff is washing up on our shores yeah. everywhere. And it seems like Absolutely. an overwhelming sort of problem. You're like, yeah. oh, why bother? You know, if I pick that up, there's tomorrow morning, it's going to be all back here again. And you just sort yeah. of, I guess what you've got to do is worry about things you can't control. And totally. Yeah, there's another great kind of reference point for me around that idea, uh, which is this guy, Peter Singer. And he's a little bit of a divisive character, but he started this movement called Effective Altruism. And you know, love him or hate him, I think that the crux of his idea is really strong, which is do the most good that you can do. And this other supporting idea, and I don't know exactly where I got it from, but it's live the way you think everybody should live. And I guess when you say the way you think everybody should live, it would be the most beneficial, right? (laughs) So if we do the most good that we can do and we behave in a way that we think everyone else, if everyone did, it would be positive. That's kind of, it's contagious might not be the right word, but it sets a great example and it actually does have a material impact. You you stop using a plastic toothbrush and across your lifetime, you'll save, you know, hundreds and thousands of years, hundreds of thousands of years of plastic waste, and if you weighed them all, you'd save like a material amount of waste in terms of weight and stuff like that. So, and then if you start to apply that thinking, not just to your toothbrush, but to your consumption of plastic bags and coffee cups and mm-hmm. plastic cutlery, that actually does have a massive impact. And it sounds a bit cliche and cheesy, but the decisions I make right now will decide the kind of universe that my children inhabit and their children inhabit. 
that's becoming more and more important to me as my kids grow up. You know? Totally. You know, nothing cheesy about that at all. You know, you're not, you, we're custodians in the scale of time we're for here for such a small amount of time. And it's a responsibility that we handed off better than what we found it. And unfortunately, totally. we don't seem to be doing that. And I guess in your mindset, if you can hand off your mindset better than what it was than when you started and you're trying to do all the right things, then yeah, it's, it can only be a good thing. And it's just, That's true. just, just time. Tell me, what does being a socially responsible entrepreneur mean to mm. you? I see your stuff and, and it makes me think, oh man, I should, I got, got to live up to higher expectations. <laughs> it's really inspirational no. to me, man. You know, like from the social aspect, the indigenous thing that you're doing and the environment thing there as well, it really kind of forced me to look inside myself and be a bit introspective and what can I do to be better? What does it mean to you? Well, I appreciate the kind words and yeah, I think... Everyone's got something to contribute to, again, it sounds quite cheesy, but to the universe, right? Like everyone's got different things mm-hmm. that will be important to them and will be beneficial and impactful in different ways and different skills, et cetera. Yeah, I think we're at a stage now where governments are slow to change direction and to change the course of the public perspective, et cetera. And governments are really driven in my experience and in my kind of, you know, I don't have a, a politics degree, but largely driven by like the needs of corporations and, and big business, particularly in this country. A lot of our economy relies on you know, the larger end of our, of our corporate structures and of our corporate organisations, which all invariably driven by consumer behaviour. So really, if you kind of pull the thread far enough, the decisions that consumers make will start to drive the way corporations have to behave and have to be seen publicly. And then also how governments make decisions and build policy and stuff like that. So I see my role as a social entrepreneur is offering uh, better consumer choices. So you don't have to you know, buy a plastic toothbrush. You can buy a bamboo one. And if that's all you ever did, then you're actually making a, a good impact on the world. But also I feel like I have a bit of responsibility and we as a team feel like we have a responsibility to educate around. It's not just toothbrushes and the stuff we mentioned before, plastic bags, coffee cups, etc. And so I think for me, the idea of being a, a, I like that term, socially responsible entrepreneur, I might start using that. But it's just to say you don't have to accept what the current status quo is and your dollars that you're spending, like they have the power to change the world. And Mm -hmm. if you invest them in the right place, then you can have a serious material impact. You don't have to compromise, and this is one of our other firm beliefs, is we don't want our customers to ever have to compromise on the quality of the product, the quality of the experience. Our toothbrushes are intentionally very strikingly beautiful. Um, Our packaging doesn't have any extra plastic in it. I feel like I'm pitching now, but we've really considered all of those things because we we know that our customers, they're consumers, and they they have the right and the, the privilege of being able to make choices that aren't our product. So just because we in inverted commas, do a good thing, that doesn't mean that you should have to compromise on any element of your experience or the product. So, yeah, I think that's you know, part of our view of being a responsible business is that we're going to give you just as good a product, just as good an experience, if not better in both of those categories, but you're going to be making better choices because your dollars go to you know, better causes and stuff like that. Well, fantastic. Thank you for sharing that with us. I'm going to ask you a uh, preloaded typical interview question. If Joel had the chance to spend five minutes with a 17-year-old Joel, what would he say? Oh, yeah. Would he be nice? Don't change a thing. Keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. Don't go with that, girl. Don't drink that drink. <laughs> yeah. Stop drinking so much Red Bull. We'd probably be a start. Uh, I should drink a lot of Red Bull. I don't drink it anymore, thank goodness. 
<laughs> you know, I was just thinking maybe I'd say go and get that wisdom tooth treated earlier. But also, <laughs> I don't know, like the experiences we have really shape what we do next, I reckon. So would I change or trade any of my life between then and now? I think it's all been really, really important. I think I'd probably give like really simple advice, like get more rest in your 20s <laughs> and invest more time in friendships instead of you know, running as fast as you can in business or in work or whatever. I, actually, I would, I would encourage myself to be more physically healthy. You know, I'm 32 now, nearly 33, and I also have a bit of a dodgy knee at the moment, which is a bit <laughs> of a pain. But I, you know, I have to work twice as hard now to be half as fit as what I would have been when I was 17. So, yeah, I think I'd say keep on running, keep on stretching and you know, doing all this stuff you're supposed to do. Eat better. Don't stay up as late. Drink less, behave better, you know, whatever. You know? Well, that's, that's kind of good because I can hear in your answer that not much would actually change. <laughs> no, there's no point. 17 year old was a pain in the ass. There's no point arguing with that guy. He was a jerk. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're busy with your full time job at Zero. I use Zero in my business, and I know lots of people that do that. What a great tool. Um, right. You're busy with that. You're busy with your business on the side hustle as well. What are your daily non negotiables that keep you sharp and focused? What do you do every day? Drink too much coffee. That's not negotiable for me. Um, <laughs> there's a couple of things. So I try and stay physically active and you know, doing a bit of exercise, regular exercise, not necessarily every day, depends on how it fits into my schedule, but you know, a good couple of things every week and it might be the gym or a run or riding push bike or whatever it might be, but just trying to stay outdoors and connected to my physical health. Mm-hmm. I make sure I make time for my children got two kids. My son Isaac is just about turned six and my daughter Sunday's just turned three. And so that's really important to me that I'm available to them and that I'm a part of their world as much as I can be. I like to read, like there's, there's a few things, diary grooming, diary maintenance is a really important one for me. So being on top of my obligations and commitments and um, into that schedule, making space for friends, family, kids, exercise, etc. You sound like you got it worked out, man. It sounds very balanced there. Very balanced with work and life and family and stuff like that. It sounds really good when you say it like that. It's good. <laughs> Providing it sounds that way, everything's good. I certainly don't get it perfect. There's, you know, I, I go from week to week. It requires constant attention. I think you are what you put in your diary. Like You definitely become what you put into your world and what you put down on paper and what you put your name to. So um, that requires regular revisiting and a bit of discipline i think and you know, i've got some really good people in my life some good friends that will challenge me on stuff so andrew's one of those guys that you know, mm-hmm. we'll talk regularly about stuff we're involved in and how we're spending time and i think that's a really important thing for anybody who wants to be good at something is get some people around you that will help you do that and be willing to be that person for someone else as well but yeah I, as long as it sounds like there's balance robert you know i'm happy you'll take it you'll take it. i'll take it i'll definitely yeah. take it Well, thanks so much for coming on the show, Joel, and sharing your Go All In story. I'm really impressed with what you're doing in that social space with Indigenous communities. Well done to you, mate. Kudos to you and your team. It's fantastic. Where can people find out more about your products and more about you? Yeah, so if you head to www.biglittlebrush.org, that's our website. We've actually just published a new website, which is exciting, something I've been working on for a couple of months. But also, we're all over Facebook and Instagram and uh, if anyone wants to have a yarn, I'm always keen to talk to you know, entrepreneurs or anyone doing something in the social space or anyone who has questions about what we're doing or whatever. I'm always keen for a chat. So you can just reach me at joel at biglittlebrush.org and yeah, reach out. Let's have a chat. And yeah, 
Awesome. Fantastic. Well, I'll make sure all of those links are included in the show notes for you as well. And if you haven't already subscribed to the Go All In podcast, please do that because that helps us a lot. And if you like what you're hearing on the show, please also leave us a review because that's really helpful too. Well, thanks very much for coming on the show, Joel. It's been really great to meet you, mate. I look forward to checking in with you again in maybe 12 months time and seeing where it's all going and just hearing some more about it. So let's pencil that in the diary and and make a plan to catch up soon, mate. Great. Thanks, Robert. Cheers, mate. Talk to you soon, mate. Cheers. Bye now.